When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I compute and obey. Now, today, Hooker. Ready. Boy, we are loaded up on the program today. In some ways, it's like a sports talk, uh, I don't know, reunion show. John Wilkerson is going to join us. This is complete coincidence. I wanted John Wilkerson to talk about the baseball balls headed to Hattiesburg. And then Jimmy Himes will look back on SEC spring meetings later in the show. So, and I produced their show from 2000 to 2005. What's going on, John Wilkerson? And I'm seated at the desk you used to occupy in our office. So how about that? <laughs> Did they move you over? Is that what happened? No, it was just vacant. I, gotcha. <laughs> well, I always like like that desk because you could see who's going in and out. Um, you you had kind of the secluded office, and sometimes I wondered, uh, you know, John, do you know who's in the office and might be uh, eavesdropping on us? But uh, you always handled it well. <laughs> Yeah, so anyhow, it's it's great to join you, and I hope you guys are having a great day so yes, far. Yes, we are. Go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button so we can bring more people into the program. John, of course, is the voice of the Diamond Balls and one of the best play-by-play guys in the biz, hands down. But John, I, I would like for you to take part, if you can, in a little thing that we call, what the H? So let's get to that right now. What the 
What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. So, John, you know more about college baseball. You've forgotten more about college baseball than I will ever know. Why in the world, though, is this super in Hattiesburg instead of Knoxville? I had jumped to the conclusion that I thought it would just be in Knoxville if they advanced past Clemson. Why is it in Hattiesburg? Well, one, that's a really good question because I'm like you. I thought as Tennessee won its way and swept the field at Clemson, hosted by the number four national seed, volunteers were in great standing to host for a third straight year in the Super Regional round. Now, both Southern Miss and Tennessee hosted last year. Um, Both failed to advance to the College World Series. But I do think that there were a couple of things at play. Um, You could point to the fact that Southern Miss had a stronger regular season as they swept both of their conference championships, regular season and their tournament. Uh, They happen to have a coach who's retiring, which is a big storyline. And then it's at least coincidental that on the selection committee that you've got an AD from another school whose son plays for Southern Miss. He is a reserve player. You have another AD now at San Diego who was the AD in Hattiesburg. His son used to play for the baseball team. He since transferred to South Carolina. And then you have former longtime Magnolia State employee. You've got John Cohen, who is the chair of the committee, who formerly was the head coach at Mississippi State, then the athletics director at Mississippi State, and now the athletics director at Auburn. So that's all at least coincidence. But <laughs> Southern Miss had more wins in the regular season. And also last year, as both teams hosted Super Regionals, they did draw about a thousand more fans per game than what Tennessee had. So there are some nuts and bolts you could point to and say that's the reason that Hattiesburg is the host. But Tennessee had the better RPI. Tennessee had the better strength of schedule. And Tennessee was more impressive in sweeping the field at Clemson as opposed to Southern Miss. Congratulations to them. Survived the loser's bracket at Auburn. But I thought Tennessee, in the end, had at least as many boxes, if not more, checked than Southern Miss did. So I'm like you. I thought they'd be in Knoxville. So aside from the shenanigans, which you which you pointed out, and the connections and, and all that sort of thing, is, is Lindsey Nelson viewed as a positive or negative when they make these selections? Because the, the atmosphere I saw last year was insanely awesome. Yeah, and that's a fair question. Uh, I do think that if it were more up to date, it would certainly help Tennessee in situations like this. And I know that they they're trying to be as rapid as possible when it comes to getting things updated. It's just that there's been the process of waiting for all the I's to get dotted and T's to get crossed when it comes to finally putting, as Danny White says, shovels into dirt. Uh, so it's going to be done in phases. It's not like you can just tear it down to its, you know, its bones and then build it back out in one off season. But I do think that if it were more of an up-to-date facility, that it would, it would fare better when it came down to a situation like this, that could be, that could have been a deciding factor. Already a compliment. Smoky Mountain Red says the best voice in Tennessee sports. So I'm going to go ahead and leave that up there. It makes John uncomfortable to get compliments, but it's true. Uh, Caleb Calhoun, good morning. I'm sorry we got off and rolling. I forgot to say hello. Do you have something for uh, Mr. Wilkerson there? It's okay. I'm taking that very personal, Dave. <laughs> um, As you should, Caleb. <laughs> thank you, John. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, John, we were talking a little bit yesterday about the politicking of this um, because I, I'm weighing two things and I want to know which one you would think would outweigh if there is any politicking to the committee from, I guess, a moral sense. Because on one hand, you have Tennessee that maybe rubbed a lot of baseball uh, purists the wrong way with the way they carried themselves last year. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But on the other hand, you have Southern Miss who's probably involved in the worst welfare fraud scandal in the history of America, where they were stealing from Mississippi welfare funds to pay for their own renovations. I mean, so to an NCAA, if there is politicking, to an NCAA official who might make this decision, which one outweighs what? Wow, that's a, uh, that's a really interesting question. Um, and I'll say this, uh, for Tennessee, I think the volunteers this year's team, which is very different personality-wise from last year's group, they certainly have had to bear the brunt of everything that people still feel about this Tennessee baseball program. Um, so I think that's at least a fair consideration. And it is also interesting to enter that part of the – I mean, it, have that enter the conversation in terms of what Brett Favre is alleged to have done in uh, getting some funds that he had hoped to be earmarked for a volleyball facility since that's where the sport his daughter was playing. So I do think that in terms of the one-to-one -one conversation, it's probably more of a checkmark against Tennessee since it is within the same realm of the sport that's being decided as to the host site as opposed to the uh, – scandalous things that have taken part in the fact that they did indeed allocate welfare funds for things that were not even close to being uh, going to the people that needed them most. John, I've, I've been to Vanderbilt stadium, so I'm well aware of the shortcomings that stadiums can have. <laughs> look at, I look at Vanderbilt and I still remember getting in the elevator for the press conference. You had a duck down because there was a beam just randomly uh, above your head. Um, so it's not necessarily number of seats that Lindsey Nelson has, but the infrastructure as far as a broadcast entity wants to come in like you, but an ESPN or whoever, and wants to make these things happen. Are there, are there things that I'm not aware of other than just number of seats that work against Lindsey Nelson that are being currently addressed? Well, I mean, and I, I do think that, one, Tennessee has shown and has handled hosting regionals the last two years very well um, because they just let you know the lay of the land, that you've got two booths that you're going to alternate in terms of who's the home team, who's the road team. You try and get those paired up as best you can. And I think the staff has done a fantastic job. I don't think there was a single issue that Tennessee had that would be any kind of an embarrassment over the last two years when it hosted and advanced from its own regional to then hosting super regionals against LSU and Notre Dame. But I just think when it comes down to the total number of spots available, that's also, that's probably something that works against it. And the fact that there would be overflow media uh, because the, the press box wow. has not been really attended to since it opened back in 1993. They have done some slight reconfiguration at, in the press box to where you have a, a bigger area, but you also have a couple of spots that are indeed for overflow media that are right there on the concourse down inside the ballpark. So I just think that Tennessee right now uh, could be well served by a, a severe update in terms of uh, the, ability, the number of uh, media that could uh, assemble in a press box as well as those that you could have spots for. But still, again, I don't think Tennessee has to apologize for anything and how it's handled the last two regionals it hosted. 
But I also think in a situation like this, that you could look at a more up-to-date facility like the, the Golden Eagles play in as to perhaps a pretty significant check in their favor. Uh, just getting ready for this weekend that Tennessee's about to experience. So those issues real quick, Caleb, and I want, I'm sorry to jump in. How quickly will those be addressed? I mean, I know they're in the process of renovating. I mean, at, at what point do we say that infrastructure or the amount of space in the press box, none of that is an issue for Tennessee any longer. How close are we to that? Well, um, Again, I don't think it is the biggest stumbling okay. block. Uh, again, it's just it might just be part of the equation. Uh, but again, I, I just think that when it came down to one-to-one, Tennessee and Southern Miss, um, Southern Miss, again, both hosted last year, and theirs is a larger facility. And there could also be – I think it would be probably much closer to SEC fatigue than it would be anything that Tennessee doesn't have at its disposal right now or hasn't updated. Um, because you had a record eight schools host regions, uh, regionals from the Southeastern Conference. No conference had ever gotten that many host spots before. Uh, you had 10 teams which matched the record that made it. Ten- Tennessee and Texas A&M were the only teams that traveled. Uh, the other eight were hosting. So I, I just think there might be more of, a again, an SEC fatigue as opposed to you look at uh, Indiana State being able to host a regional as it did this opening weekend. They advanced to the Super Regional. They've got a huge event going on on their campus. Otherwise, they'd be hosting the Super Regional. But unfortunately, they knew that their staff was already allocated to that, so they didn't even put in a, a bid. And so that's why they're playing at TCU as opposed to TCU coming to their place. John, talking a little ball on the field with Tennessee baseball, what do you make of this team's, should we say, mental makeup? I mean, I told – Dave last Saturday that performance by Zane didn't maybe the most clutch performance I've seen from a Tennessee athlete in any sport and I'm talking even football in that regard and and do you think that the flying under the radar that it may help them in the sense of they won't put as much pressure on themselves if things go against them the way that I felt they did in the Notre Dame series last year Well, I do think that it has been a work in progress because this team opened with the expectation that they would pick up where last year's team left off. And that was number one for the better part of the season and then uh, only lost nine games. Um, But this year's team was expected to be more of the same from last year because you return essentially your starting rotation on the weekends. And that was a great starting point. But you replaced every defensive starter. Um, So you had eight new starters in the lineup. And it took a little while for things to gel. In fact, it was when Tony Vitello put together his best lineup defensively that everybody kind of were it was able to catch their breath and start being, as, as Coach Vitello referred to, as the best version of themselves at the plate. That's when you saw the offense really start to kick in. And they put up some really good numbers. They've got the second most home runs of any Tennessee team, short only of last year's squad. So they've got 122 dingers this year. Uh, The pitching staff has not been as sound this year as it was last year. But I think part of that was because, again, you were rounding into shape with what you were able to do defensively. I think Tennessee was as strong defensively. That might have been the best part of their performance this past weekend in the Clemson Regional. They were just so good when it came to playing catch, as they like to say. But Tennessee's been so strong defensively. They've been so strong consistently with starting pitching. And their offense, even though they only had the one hit in the loss that they had in the lone SEC tournament game, they've really played well over the last four weeks or so. So I think Tennessee is playing its very best ball across the board coming into this matchup. And for them, 
you know, there is pressure that goes from being the home team when you are at the super regional stage. I think being able to go on the road and realize that it's somebody else's headache to make sure that they have all the ticket requests met and things like that. I think they they fully embrace the opportunity they have to go to Southern Miss and play as well as they just did at Clemson. John, I, I know you have to roll, but um, last thing as as far as Tennessee's chances, I mean, I I think they're I think they're pretty good. I think they can also play the um, you know overlooked card, have to go on the road, that sort of thing. And then I think the other thing is they don't have the distraction of last year that they were a team that was kind of on the edge, which I enjoyed. I liked, I mean, you know me well enough. Um, what do you think of Tennessee's mindset headed into the super? I, I think it's very solid because they've been able to, I mean, the last check, the last box they needed to check was success away from home. They won their last series at South Carolina, took two out of three from the Gamecocks. They, uh, they then, of course, had the, the one game that they didn't win and didn't necessarily play that well against Texas A&M in the SEC tournament. But then they put together two really good wins against Charlotte, which uh, won Conference USA's tournament. And then just an instant classic in the 14-inning affair with Clemson. Uh, that was toe-to-toe. That was just a fantastic game. And you had the late heroics by uh, Zane Denton to uh, give Tennessee the lead top of the ninth. I mean, each side was a strike away from winning in the ninth inning. Clemson in the top of the ninth, Tennessee bottom of the ninth, and then we got four, five more extra innings. So I just think for them to be able to go toe-to-toe with a program that had won 17 straight going into that matchup against the Tigers, uh, I, I just thought Tennessee did everything it needed to. And, and I think this is a team that has the right mindset. They've been so good that after being 5-10 and 10 at the midpoint of the SEC schedule, they're now a team that just says, what do we have to do? What do we have to deal with today? win today and then plan on tomorrow when that time comes. So I think this is a team that has its own identity. It's uh, it's not near or, or similar to what the, the feel for the team, the vibe from the team was last year. And that's not a bad thing for 2022. I just think this group has its own feel, its own identity. And right now they're playing awfully confident. Love it, John. And for those that don't know, where does that door behind you go? to add <laughs> it goes into the newsroom right, but, it's, but it's permanently <laughs> locked so you can't get through it if there's a fire in the front of the sports office you ain't getting out that's right <laughs> it's gonna be tough that's why we always have bottles of water in here <laughs> just in case john wilkerson uh voice of the diamond balls have a great call and uh hopefully we can do this again when you're in omaha Yeah, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday if necessary. 3 o'clock Eastern time is the scheduled first pitch for the first game for Tennessee at Southern Miss. Ball network coverage starts at 245. But, Dave, Caleb, certainly appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Thanks, buddy. You too. Have a great one, John. Thank you. John, I remember I tried to open that door one time to figure out where it went, and it's like permalocked. You cannot open it. John's appearance brought to you in part by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com, Integrity matters over 50 years in east tennessee that city heating and air conditioning city heat and air.com might not need a whole new unit might just need a part might need some coolant that's city heating and air conditioning city heat and air.com change gears a bit talking football as we do that right now and caleb incomers the topic of conversation as some were recently highlighted by a guy that i've always liked his work Craig Hobart, who is a scout at now is he on three or is he we work together at ESPN? Where is he now? 
Caleb, I well, think this, he's... this article is on ESPN, so I believe he's still on ESPN. Okay, so he's still at ESPN. Good for Craig. And uh, he's kind of uh, compadres with Tom Luganbill there. But he showcased several Tennessee incoming players that he thought would have a big impact for the Vols. Let's take a look at some of those. The tenor of Craig's column was, I thought, pretty heavy on the transfer side, and it should be. That's where we are in this day and age of college football, and that's also where Tennessee is, is taking advantage of the transfer portal, which they should continue to do. What was your takeaway, before we get to four downs, just in general of Tennessee's incoming players and what Craig Hobart had to say? I have one specifically I want to get to, but but first, what was your takeaway from that call? Honestly, my biggest takeaway was a good sign for Tennessee, which is that, yes, they're number 16. And for those who don't know, this is who this is ranking the combination of your recruiting class plus your transfer class and who's going to have the most impact. I think being right. number 16 is a very good sign for Tennessee, only because, yes, there were four SEC teams ahead of them, but those SEC teams were Arkansas, Ole Miss, Auburn. Actually, excuse me, I think just three SEC teams. But the reason I bring that up is most of the teams you'll see on here were teams that were mediocre to bad last year and are just desperately trying to revamp their program. You don't see a lot of top 10 teams in the top 20 on here from last year because this is about looking for instant impact players. So for Tennessee to be in the top 20, having been in the top 10 last year, is a good sign. Now, that number one is USC, and they were top 10 last year, but they're not in the SEC. It, it honestly... Yeah, I think about a USC maybe more dangerous than I thought. <laughs> Yet with conference realignment, who knows? A couple of weeks they may get announced from moving to the Big Ten to the SEC at SEC Media Day. No, um, <laughs> I thought the very same thing. I mean, to be 16 and even be on this list, and you look at the number of returnees that uh, Tennessee has defensively. I know the offensive line is in a slight rebuild uh, with with Darnell Wright. But you you have a new quarterback, obviously, but I think uh, Tennessee feels good about where they are there. I think to be at 16, and if if you can, give me the other SEC schools that are ahead of Tennessee. But I want to break down some of these impact newcomers. uh, To be at 16 is a very positive sign because there aren't a lot of places for guys to come in and play. You would say linebacker, offensive line, there's always room for a defensive lineman or two, such as defensive tackle Omar Norman Lott. I mean, there's always going to be room for guys like that. Um, receiver they could use. I, I think their receivers were fine without Dante Thornton, but uh, he comes in. So the fact that you have you, you have some availability and you feel that I think is a very positive sign. So say 16th best in the nation or not, which would be, well, I guess, fourth in the SEC, that's, I still think that's pretty good. Sorry. Yeah, they're what? I think they're fifth. I think I got it. I think I got it wrong. But um, yeah, I'll say okay. So going through them, so the one that's ahead of Tennessee that they should be concerned about, and it's the highest ranked in the SEC. And for this is this is for all of you who say I'm a homer for LSU. I'm not. They're ranked highest of all SEC teams, and they won the West last year. So before you call me a homer, they're ranked number four on this list. Uh, four is impressive. But not surprising, you would think there are a lot of guys that perhaps went to another school that are from the state of Louisiana. So I would think that would be a natural 
transfer portal type of move to get guys to come back to the state of Louisiana. So I'm not surprised. I don't think that Brian Kelly will build his program on transfers at all, but I think he's going to have the ability to go out and cherry pick some guys kind of like how Alabama did with uh, Jameer Gibbs. So I st- I, I'm still not hundred percent sure the evolution of college football, if this is going to turn into 60% transfer guys, 70% transfer guys, or 20% transfer guys. I don't think you and I know right now, Caleb. But right now, I like the approach that Alabama has, and that is build strong from the high school ranks and be strong within and add a couple of really good pickups like they did with Jameer Gibbs last year. So that's that's kind of where I see it going, but I'm still not 100% sure. So who else in the SEC? Is ahead of Tennessee. And then we're going to break down their newcomers as uh, four downs. Okay. And now we get to the people they shouldn't worry about because number eight on this list is Auburn. I think you and I both agree that's a desperation because they needed the transfer portal because they just totally rerouted. Yep. A new coach, a lot like Josh Heupel when NIL came about, when you had the new coach, which in some ways I think is a benefit to getting NIL funds put together um you have a new coach at auburn and hugh freeze and the boosters there are going to spend money so not surprised to see them at all and they need help desperation might be a little strong caleb but they do need help all right who else um another one now this isn't new coach or rebuilding but this is a guy that as we've talked about is doing which the opposite of what you say should be done which is building his program solely on the transfer portal so lane kiffin and Ole miss at number 11 this is the way lane's gonna roll I mean, I'm just sorry. That's the, it's it's set in stone. He doesn't feel like that he can pay players on a two, three year basis with NIL money. He doesn't think that money's there, and he's going to live and die by the transfer portal in 2023 and in 2028 if he's still at Ole Miss. That's the way he's going to roll. He's made up his mind. There's no changing. He will be up towards the top of this list each and every year. Who's next? Next on the list is Arkansas at number 13. That's another desperation one. They were very disappointing last year, and they need to revive their program quickly under Sam Pittman. And so, again, I don't think Tennessee should worry about Arkansas being ahead of them. And I love Sam Pittman. And I I really respect Arkansas's program. People hear me rip on Missouri all the time. But I thought Arkansas was a great fit back in 1992 when they added them to the conference. I love a lot about that program and Sam Pittman. But my goodness gracious, do they have any chance – of competing with Oklahoma and Texas in the conference when Arkansas was known for recruiting those areas and saying, Hey, you get to play in the sec. Well, Hey, now you get to stay home and play in the sec. I don't yeah. know where Arkansas ends up in the next five years, but I do like Sam Pittman. And they massively downgraded an offensive coordinator when they brought in Dan Enos. He's no Kendall Bryles. I just, I, I think I'm with you. I like Sam Pittman. You know, for those who don't know, he coached at Tennessee in 2012 with Derek Dooley and Jim Chaney in that record-setting offense, funny enough. But yep. I, I'm just – yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It's I don't see where they can go from here. Although they had more success when they played in the Southwest Conference for years. They won some Southwest Conference titles back in the day. But, yeah, just long-term. Let me ask but- the message board here uh, this, because I know we have a ton of uh, Tennessee fans. We've got a lot of South Carolina fans. we got get a lot of LSU fans because Caleb loves them. And 
from all over the place. Well, I love it because Derek Dooley coached there, guys. That's where he. That's true. Team. I understand. <laughs> but do you have a secondary team that you root for? So if you're primarily Tennessee, South Carolina, or whoever, I'm curious on the message board because I root for Arkansas a little bit because of Pittman and because of the. I think his inclination to run the ball first, which we don't see nowadays in any level of football, high school, college, and pro. I like that. I'm an old school 92 Cowboys lining up I formation. Let's go. I know that's dated, but I kind of root for Sam Pittman in Arkansas, given, given everything equal. To be fair, that 92 Cowboys team could run that offense today and they'd win a Super Bowl. They were just that loaded. Yeah, I love you, Caleb. <laughs> This is made my day. All right. There, so there is one yeah. team. There's one last team ahead of Tennessee. And okay. it scared. doesn't really, it's another one that doesn't, I don't think that scares him. And it's Kentucky. Now, Devin Leary to Kentucky is scared because I think he's significantly better than Will Levis. But, and I wonder too, when you make these lists, you're not supposed to theoretically weigh a quarterback more than other positions. But what do you do? You weigh a quarterback more than other positions, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like three running backs and a receiver. I exactly. And so one good quarterback that could change the direction of your program from Limpy Levis to a new guy, or would it be Gimpy Levis? <laughs> that doesn't sound as good with uh, out the alliteration. I yeah. I mean, I think you're but going. If to you're naturally. Tennessee, you're grateful that Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina are all behind you. Those are the those are the teams you want to be behind you in this list. You agree, Dave? Yes. Yes, I do. And I'm reading the message board at the same time. Smoky Mountain Red. Good question, but I cannot think of one. Somebody you roots for besides uh, Tennessee. At least that's what I'm drawing from Smoky Mountain Red. Also, uh, Travis says, I do. My secondary team is Alabama to lose to anyone. <laughs> Rocky Top Tom says, I don't like any, any other SEC team but I absolutely pull for whoever plays against Alabama each and every week. And then Mr. Jones beats my alliteration game. Loser Levis. Little harsh, little harsh. What should I people used to root do for Duke in football when David Cutcliffe was there? I root for coaches. If I, I'm, if I respect a coach, I like to see the coach do well. And then Agreed. I root for who I pick. Agreed. And I root for people too. Like I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm a Cowboys fan. But if Eric Berry and the Kansas City Chiefs had met the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, I would have, not overtly, but I would have quietly rooted for the Chiefs. I would still have the family put on their Cowboys gear that I do every Sunday. but And I do that. But I would have rooted for the Chiefs for Eric Berry because he's the greatest individual that I ever covered. I mean, I wish I could say the same thing, but if the if the Grizzlies are in the finals last year, I, I I'm rooting for John Morant, and I don't care how terrible of a human and how he is like over I, Grant over Grant Williams of the Celtics. Yes, and in the NFL, I'm rooting for. I I don't care if Will Levis does become the starter. I'm not a fan of. Will, oh, I was a Cortland Finnegan fan. Okay, so I I, I mean, you got to throw character out the window with that one. Didn't think we'd get a Cortland Finnegan shout out, but we did. All right, so let's break down Tennessee's incoming players and what Craig Hobart thinks of them of ESPN. We will do that in exactly 
two minutes or roughly two minutes with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off Folk Sports. To own the more that owns every job, then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassies, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Is there nothing you people can't do? Also available on offthehooksports.com. Travis says Dave loves this. I wonder if he's talking about the hate on the message board. Because I do love the hate on the message board. Smoky Mountain Red, or I'll post. Yeah, I hate all other SEC teams. SEC teams. Rocky Top Tom, though, does say... I would truly like to see Arkansas do something just because they used to be great and our annual game with them used to actually mean something. Thank you for playing along, Rocky Top Tom, whereas Smoky Mountain Red follows up with, they can all lose every game and bowl games as well. I'm not a root for an SEC team and a bowl game fan. The more they lose, the better it helps in recruiting. 
actually very true, but I do. I'm so like the whole like SEC, Big Ten, my conference is better. That was cool when it was like 10 teams to a conference. When you're at 16 teams and your super conferences, like there's no like, like it used to be re- like my region superior to your region. What's your region now? Okay, Miami <laughs> and Dallas are not the same region remotely. Yeah, uh, my region is uh, Rutgers and Ventura Boulevard at the same time in LA. Yes. So those are my regions now. All right, what do we need to do, Jacob? What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. He does. All right, Four Downs is now as we continue to talk about Tennessee and what they brought in in this particular class via breakdown with Craig Hobbard of ESPN, who uh, quite a good job, if I do say so myself. Four Downs now is brought to you by Craft Treats. CraftTreats.com for more. Four Downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Downs. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Right, the first question, first down, what transfer will have the biggest impact? Four downs brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com, use the promo code off the hook, the promo code off the hook, and you will get 20% off of your purchase. They have the chill pills with the CBD derivatives that will help with your pet's anxiety, that will help with your pet's arthritis or digestive issues. Again, crafttreats.com use the promo code off the hook they've got the chill pills with cbd or other fantastic treats 20 percent off with the promo code off the hook what transfer will have the biggest impact for tennessee this upcoming season so we're talking about names like linebacker keenan pilly offensive lineman john campbell uh, defensive tackle omar norman lott wide receiver dante thornton and then linebacker Arian Carter. Those were the players designated by Craig. Arian Carter's a recruit, not a transfer. Sorry? Arian, Arian Carter was a recruit, not a transfer. Yeah, so, so top in uh, top newcomers. Uh, those were the ones designated by Craig Hobbard as top oh, impact yeah. newcomers. So this is a combination of transfers and freshmen. Continue to hear great stuff out of Arian Carter. I have trouble picking him, though, because I just don't expect anything out of freshmen until I see it on the field in the fall. So let's go with first down. Who will have the biggest impact this fall? You can pick out of this list, which I think is pretty all-encompassing, or you can go a completely different direction. I don't know where you Okay, so are we asking – I know it combines transfers and recruits, but is first down is what transfer will have the biggest impact or what newcomer period will have the biggest impact? Uh, Let me say newcomer. Okay, newcomer. Okay, so I don't think it, it, I, and I guess the, the the slip of the tongue is because it really doesn't change anything in my mind. I'm going to pick a transfer each and every year before I'll pick a an incoming high school player. Now they may prove me wrong one day, but that's kind of where I am. All right, so what incomer will have the the biggest impact? I think that's pretty obvious. I think it's Keenan Healy. Um, I just Tennessee needs a. Jeremy Banks replacement, and I, I'm pretty sure Keenan. I mean, Keenan, Keenan Peely is pretty obvious as a newcomer. That that's going to have the biggest impact for them. Um. Okay, I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate, but I agree with you. Okay, so I I think 
that when you look at Keenan Pilly, I don't know that he's a playmaker impact player. So does that mean other people could step in and play that position possibly? And that being the case, if John Campbell starts every game this season, he's not going to have stats because offensive linemen don't get, get stats. So I'll agree with you with Peely, but I'll say a close second would be John Campbell because I think he ends up starting every game at left tackle as long as he's healthy. So what incoming player does Tennessee need need to have the biggest impact? Uh, I'm going freshman here. They're not named, but they need Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson to have the biggest impact. They need a cornerback to step up yesterday. <laughs> and given how horrible the play was there last year, they need one badly. That's, re- uh, that's, that's really good. I, ca- I can't argue with that one. I'm going to say, though, John Campbell, I'm not trying to beat uh, beat a dead horse here, but they've decided they were going to flip-flop their offensive line like they did with Darnell Wright last year and move the guys who played in the left side to the right side from 2022 to 2023, respectively. So John Campbell, if he can't play, blows that whole idea up. Not only is he bad at his position, but then in preseason camp, you would have to shift guys back to the left side so I will go John Campbell, not to be the dead horse. Let's put some more pressure on John Campbell, everyone. Okay, so what freshman, now specifically freshman because I misspoke earlier with the uh, newcomer, but what freshman not named Arian Carter will have the biggest impact this fall? See, I'm 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 sticking with, again, it's going to be Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson. Yeah, same for <laughs> it's you. Be one of them. Yeah, I will go with Matthews. In that regard, I'm going to pick one over the other just based off what I heard. I think he's slightly more ready to play, and I think that would uh, also have a it, it make a huge statement for Tennessee to be able to get a guy out of Louisiana and and have success with him off the get. So, uh, feel free to give me your thoughts as uh, we we dive into fourth down. So, in this column. A guy that I've referenced before, and some people have given me a hard time about it because his name's not Joe Milton. So go ahead and uh, give me a hard time. But a guy named Nico. Let's try that again. I have one of those All right. A guy named Nico is listed as 1A. That struck me. Would you describe Nico as 1A? No, not a chance. I would have before spring ball, but I think it's very clear Joe Milton's a starter. I, w- I wouldn't either. I, I, you know, as much as I like this column, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go one a. I think that he's two. I think he's a solid two because Gaston Moore is a solid three. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's a competition there. Now we may. Th- come to a point just like with the first year with hooker and milton that we say there should have been a competition but i don't get any sense that tennessee is is vacillating on its quarterbacks uh another note the uh, name we didn't mention ethan davis and that's that's a pretty good one uh ethan davis is an incredibly athletic tight end could he come in as a freshman and have an impact absolutely i could see him having 20 catches, a couple of significant ones, because he's that athletic. I think he's a bit of a project. I think his best days are going to be ahead of him, like the 2024 season. But that's a good one. I like that one quite a bit. So 
but Caleb, ultimately, when we talk about Tennessee's biggest incoming players, it seems like Peely is the one that is the most sure thing. And that was your pick for biggest impact. So, Peely yeah, seems like the easy one. Peely's, Peely's the, the, the definitely the easiest one. He's a clear cut. He's already a starter. Gabe Giuliani is possible because I think J- Gabe Giuliani, we talked about he's going to play. We just don't know where yet. I bet he's going to play somewhere in the secondary, but he's not going to start anywhere. We know Peely's going to start. Nope. I agree. All right, let's get to today's tough question. Today's tough question brought to you by the one, the only Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Today's tough question is now. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, Caleb. Tennessee's greatest win against the 10 winningest coaches in Division One. The 10 Give winningest me, coaches they beat. They beat. Tennessee's biggest win against those coaches. Winningest doesn't sound like a word. Never has, never will to me, but it is indeed a word. Caleb. Uh, give me a rundown of uh, Tennessee's wins against D1 coaches that are uh, the winningest coaches currently. And it's brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Save you thousands or tens of thousands. Andymasonrealestate.com has over 40 years of experience in the real estate biz in his office. Andy's phenomenal. Go to andymasonrealestate.com. I'm about to make a move. And who do I call first? Andy Mason realestate.com call Andy Mason. We'll take care of you. All right. So the top 10 winningest coaches that Tennessee has beaten are these current coaches or all-time coaches, all-time coaches. This all-time is our smoky hot, coaches. smoky hot takes coming at you. All so, right. Some smoky hot takes. I'm going to say that Tom Osborne is not on this list. Nope. Tom Osborne's not on this list. And guess what? <laughs> Neither is Bill Snyder. Neither is Bill Snyder. Nice Even though Tennessee played both of them. So, <laughs> all right. So, what do we got? All right. So, we got uh, the first, and this is the only coach on here not at 200 wins yet, number 10, but he's going to get to 200 wins this year. And it would be a guy by the name of Kurt Ferenz at Iowa. Tennessee beat him in the Tax Slayer Bowl, Butch Jones's second year, 45 to 28. That's their only win. So, it's obviously their best win against this coach. And that's really not that standout of a win. <laughs> yeah. Beating Iowa in anything is. Uh, I don't know, about as sexy as a Yugo back in the day. What else we got? All right, so Vince Dooley. Tennessee beat Vince Dooley only twice in 1969 and 1972. The 69 game decided the SEC championship, though, so I think it's obvious that's the best win against Vince Dooley. Okay, so now we got Vince Dooley number one. Who's next? All right, so right after that, going back to Iowa. Is this a countdown on your behalf, or is this just you're throwing them at me and I'm playing off of them? Uh, well, kind of a countdown. I'm throwing them at you, too. So, you know, some are obvious. Put it that Live way. Live workshopping, smoky, uh, smoky hot takes. Here we go. All right, who else? Okay, so number right after that, we've got another Iowa situation. A guy named Hayden Fry coached at Iowa in the 80s and SMU in the 70s. Tennessee beat Iowa to open the 1987 season in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Now, for those who don't know, that was a very significant game because that was the start of Doug Dickey scheduling these 
neutral site games across the country for national television exposure that really helped Tennessee recruit in the 90s. Um, Hayden Fry, do you remember the show Coach? I do not. With Craig T. Nelson? No. Nope. Roughly <laughs> based off of him. Really? Um, yes. Uh, you need to look that up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we can do better than that. I believe you can do better than that. Here oh, we go. Oh, we can. Yeah. Uh, we can do better than this one, too, uh, but it's still a good one. 1994, to close out the difficult 94 season, Frank Beamer. Tennessee beat Virginia Tech that year in the Gator Bowl. And for those who don't know, that game was in the swamp because they had to move it because of construction in Jacksonville. Yeah, we got to do better than Beamer. <laughs> Come on. Oh, well, okay. All right, here comes – Oh, wait, wait, that's just that's just the first half. The good stuff is coming, man. I'm ready. Uh, Smoky Mountain Red says the historian and Caleb is coming out today in full force. He's even got bowl relocation sites in this segment. All right, go ahead. So, what we all got? right, so 1971 and 1972, Tennessee beat Joe Paterno when Penn State was number five and number six, respectively. The better win was in 1971. That was in December of that year. Tennessee was number 12. Penn State was undefeated at number five. And Tennessee ended up being Penn State's only loss that year. I'm going to bet we do significantly better than that. All right. There, we're still there, going. There's, there's a guy named after an animal that resided in Tuscaloosa. And another guy that had a sharp wit like a... Wait, we're getting there. Yeah, like a predatorial... Uh, I don't know. Like a crocodile, but not. Another guy whose last name sounds very much like the nickname for Lucifer, if you change one letter. We'll get to that one, too. <laughs> um, uh, and he's also I'm still coaching. Stumped. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, we're going – another legendary coach, a um, man by the name of Lou Holtz. Now, Tennessee won six straight against Lou Holtz in 99 to 2004, but as I'm sure Dave knows, that's not Tennessee's most legendary win over Lou Holtz. Not Lou Holtz because he berated me after an interview one time. So Lou they Holtz beat Lou not... Holtz. Yeah. But it was the 1991 miracle at South Bend. That was a, that's that. Come on. I'm not well, there. I'm not. The, okay. Well, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. No, forget 99 to 2004. None of those matter. No. Well, forget oh. the rest of your list. I mean, that's the one. If it's Lou Holtz and it's the miracle at South Bend, how are you going to top that, Caleb? So, wait, you're saying we can do better, we can do better, we can do better. Now you're like, how are you going to top that? Yeah, I'm, I'm digging my heels <laughs> in. Okay, Mike's, wait, wait, wait. I'm, yeah. Oh, I'll some of those guys on those, t those teams are watching and I don't dig my heels in, then I'm going to be in trouble with the Mike Stoles of the world. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll top this. You know, there's this guy by the name of Steve Spurrier. Yes. That... Tennessee beat in 1989, 1990, 1992, 1988, 2006, 2007, 2009, 2013, 2014. But I'm going not 1998, but 2001. I would go 2002 because he hung it up after that. Yes, Tennessee forced him to resign from Florida. And that is a close I, second to the Holtz miracle at South Bend. Okay. Oh, you okay? Well, I still think I'm about to top the Holtz miracle. But all right. All right. Uh there's one that one is not oh, the you got Bobby Bowden. Yeah, I've got Bobby Bowden. 99 oh, okay. State. Well, that's a national, national championship. That's gonna be tough to talk. All right, all right, finish your list. Finish okay, your so list. there's there's two more, and these are the two debatable ones. Okay, actually, no, one's not debatable. One's not debatable at all. Spurrier was more debatable. Tennessee's beaten Nick Saban twice. Jeez, I wonder which one was the most memorable win. I think it's very recent. I think it'd be last year, yeah. 
for sure. All right. Yeah. So we, we got we got a Saban one in there. What what else we got? Okay, now here's where the debate comes. Tennessee beat Bear Bryant quite a few times. Yes. Now, Dave, who is uh, biased to his era, and when he watched, might say, I, I, you were you you probably remember 82 Alabama, right? Or were you a little too young? No, I was eight. Okay, I remember some things at eight. I was eight when Memphis beat Tennessee. I, I remember it. I, no, I don't remember. I remember the catch by Dwight Clark, but I don't remember. That was an 80 but I don't remember 82, the Tennessee Alabama. Okay. Well, that's what everybody would say for Tennessee beating Alabama for Tennessee's best win versus Bear Bryant. Well, last year's win was bigger. Yes. And that's not Tennessee's best win versus Bear Bryant. Okay. Well, any win over Bear, any win over Bear Bryant is going to be topped by the win last year because it, the duration is going to be roughly as long. And this was a bigger upset. And for a num- it, for a number of reasons, I don't see any of the 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 bear wins being bigger than last year. No, I don't. I'm not, I agree and I'm not using recency bias. I hope you, you know that. I'm with you on that. But here's the thing: none of the bear wins. Tennessee's best win at, uh, against Bear Bryant was not even when he was at Alabama. It was when he was at Kentucky. 1950, Kentucky still claims a national championship from that year, even though they lost to Tennessee. They went undefeated. They're going to play Tennessee in Knoxville. Tennessee is the better team. I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me. Kentucky's the better team, clearly the better team. And the day before the game, the worst blizzard in the history of the Appalachians hits. And Tennessee, knowing Kentucky was the better team, decides to not shovel the field for the game. There's 13 turnovers in the game combined. Tennessee wins 7 to nothing. Tennessee goes on to win the national title. Biggest win by far ever against Bear Bryant. Pretty big. All right, what else we got? Those, are the, that... those are the 10. No, but, okay. but I got a couple All other right. Bear Bryant ones that matter. The 67 Tennessee-Alabama game decided the SEC championship that year. That was Albert Dorsey had a pick six. So that one was a big one. Here's where I am on this. I think that you have to pick the national championship game. That's beating Bobby Bowden. If you're just tuning in, Go ahead and hit that like button. Subscribe if you haven't done at this point. But like button brings more people in. So it's the top 10 winningest coaches in college football history. Which Tennessee victory over one of those coaches is the most significant? So to me, it's got to be the national championship, right? Bobby Bowden. I mean, that even though that game, Tennessee was significantly better in that game. And I never thought they were in any danger of losing that game before, during. I just didn't think that was going to happen. So that has to be number one. And then you have shifted the landscape a little bit by beating Steve Spurrier. And then you get the big win last year. So I think two is very debatable. If you want to go Spurrier 2001, it caused him to hang it up. And you had an opportunity to play for national championship if you take care of your business in the SEC championship game, which they did not. Caleb, I'm having trouble after the Bobby Bowden one. Who would you have as two? In the moment, I would probably go 2001 Florida. Because I'm going to be honest, I would put 2001 and 98 Florida over last year's Alabama game. I think both were more significant. I think the story, I think the game being moved to December because of the terrorist attacks, Tennessee being 18-point underdogs. I mean, that was the watershed moment of the Tennessee-Florida rivalry was the 2001 game. 
And so I, I would go that. I would actually go 98 Florida, number three. I, I, I know we're picking one per coach, and then I would pick 2022 Alabama for number behind them. No, I, I, I don't have an I don't have any sort of argument with that. But but man, the more I think about it, the ninety-eight win was so big because talking as part of our celebrate ninety-eight series, and we'll have Steve Johnson who caught the interception to end the national championship game. But I look I look back at that talking to those guys about that ninety-eight season, and really they thought they had it won when they beat Florida in September that even the national championship game was a bit of a letdown. So some of those players might actually have it number one over the national championship game as bizarre as I know that sounds. I was 10 years old. I was just getting into following football. My brother was a hardcore Tennessee fan and I will never forget like the day of that game. My brother just, this is 25 years ago. My brother being like, you know, if Tennessee can just win tonight, they, they should go undefeated the whole year. And then Tennessee beats Florida. And I'll never forget the first thing my brother says right after the game is, they should go undefeated now. And so it seems like you're right. The sentiment among Vol Nation was that because they finally got over the Florida hump, they shouldn't lose a game the rest of the year. It just because that was such an albatross around their neck the past few years. And so you you might, 98 or, or 01, either one, you could go either way. Florida was number two in both. So I don't know which Spurrier win was bigger. I just think in the moment, there was something special about that 0-1 game because nobody was giving Tennessee any respect in that game. Okay, so I'm going to go – you have to go to the national championship, but I am I am going to say second uh, to that is a tie between 2001 Florida and Steve Spurrier. 98 Florida and Steve Spurrier. Last year, uh, Alabama and Nick Saban – and I can't leave out Lou Holtz and the miracle at South Bend. I can't, I just cannot leave that out. See, I, that didn't have any implications really though. Notre Dame, there, what, neither team was playing for a national title. Like it just, that game was exciting for in the moment. But I mean, implications long term. I mean, I got 1950 Kentucky over that. Winning at South Bend in the way they won. How many? I mean, but ni- 1950 Kentucky though was like that. That game, Tennessee won a national championship off that win. National championships always win, don't they? Yeah, I mean, yes. By the way, a couple other Hall of Fame coaches Tennessee beat who did not win 200 games with a Hall of Fame coaches Bobby Dodd. Losers. <laughs> oh yeah, Bobby Dodd's a loser. They beat Bobby <laughs> Dodd a few. They beat Bobby Dodd a few times when he was at Georgia Tech, most famously 1956. And they also beat arguably the best coach, Jimmy Johnson, in the 85 Sugar Bowl. Yes. Jimmy Johnson may have gone on to do great things in the NFL. Exactly. Oh, and that's true. Dabo Swinney this past year. Dabo Swinney will get to 200 wins and will be on this list soon enough. So, because they beat him in the Orange Bowl. But that's not that good of a win against Dabo. Clemson didn't care about that game, but wasn't that impressive. Sorry. Travis says Miracle at South Bend was a much better game than 98 Florida. That is absolutely true. That 98 Florida game, if you actually go back and watch it, and I have, it's not the prettiest played game. Florida did as much to lose it as Tennessee did to win it. Please don't tell Fred White I said that. D said, watch the Copeland segment last night. Very good. We appreciate that. Be sure and check it out. It'll be Steve Johnson coming up uh, tonight. We'll get that posted by tomorrow. And then for kicks, Jeff Hall. 
will join us. So looking forward to that. Uh, coming up, Jimmy Himes. He was at SEC spring meetings just a few days ago. And I don't know why in the world this schedule is not figured out, but we're going to talk to Jimmy about that. Hang tight. Two minutes. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker of Thug Sports. Family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. All right, here we go. Joined by a very special guest. I want to get right to it. It is Jimmy Himes. Formerly of the sports animal, I don't know. How do I introduce you now, Jimmy? It's just uh, the man. How's that? Just a former. <laughs> former. Okay. Not, not, I'm not growing any crops. I'm not a farmer, but a former. I got gotcha. you. Uh, former sports writers, former sportscaster. Yes. Um, well, and coincidentally, to talk baseball, we had John on earlier today. So it's like a reunion. Maybe I should give Dave Nathan a call. There you go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's got some uh, lamp that he would be willing to sell you. <laughs> the coated, the, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. All right, so you're. I, I, I want to get right into this because I just thought the the flow of news was so interesting last week at SEC spring mm-hmm. meetings. You have 
Greg Sankey come out and says, we want to get this taken care of, the schedule thing, and we want it to be nine. And you never set those expectations out there. I would have told him that on Monday. But he did, and then they basically got nothing done. So what in the world happened in Destin? Is everybody just boozing it up on the beach? They just had ten, well, no, they don't do that. I'll say that. That's uh, those meetings are, are they go around the clock. Uh, so they just uh, couldn't make an agreement on stuff. They had different opinions. I am convinced that on Monday, Greg Sankey thought he had enough votes to go to a nine-game schedule. But Nick Saban, I strongly believe publicly because I asked him because he didn't like the three permanent opponents that he saw Alabama was going to get. To which Greg Sankey said, we're not playing a three-game schedule. There's six other games you can play. So, uh, also, you had uh, some folks that wanted more money. If if they're going to go to nine games, they wanted ESPN to pony up and pay a little bit more money. ESPN was not willing to do that yet. Uh, Also, there were the playoff implications. If you're a two-loss SEC team, you're probably going to get into a 12-team playoff, right? But what if you got three losses? What happens then? So, that was a concern about – the SEC beating up on each other. So those are some of the factors. Another factor is there's some schools that want to get to six wins. Uh, they want to get to a, a bowl game. And so that was another issue with why they had a split. I think they went in, Sankey went in thinking he had the votes. The last vote I heard was nine to five against going to the nine-game schedule against the 6-3 model. Now they're going to revisit it, but and I've heard people say they're going to revisit next year. No, they're going to revisit it soon. They will have this hammered out, I believe, before the end of this year about what they're going to do. Dave, I think they're going to go to nine. But the thing that really, I'll say, that ticked off Sankey was <laughs> when, he, when he heard responses from coaches and athletic directors saying, we don't have enough information to form a decision. And he said, one more piece of paper is going to make a difference. So I, I think he felt like plenty of information was out there Plenty of things were told about what was on the table, but he he just couldn't get the votes at this point. Portions of the program brought to you by Vassy Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive with their buying power in Cleveland, Tennessee. Come from Nashville, Knoxville, or Chattanooga for your industrial and commercial mower needs. Toro, count on it. So, uh, Jimmy, when it's when it's all said and done. Was Saban the ultimate deciding factor on the things that, that you mentioned with those three factors? I think we might be breaking up a little bit with Jimmy. I think we've lost him. Yeah. Let's see if we can get we'll, – we'll try to get Jimmy back here. So that that is interesting to me that there's a potential – okay, so I think we got Jimmy back. All right, Jimmy's back, and he looks clear. So we're good. Of those three issues that you, you gave me of, of why they – didn't get the schedule done, where would you rank Saban? It sounds like maybe he was ultimately the fly in the ointment. Had an impact. Now, but when you heard some of the other coaches, I didn't hear as much about I don't like permanent opponents. I heard other uh, – I think a strong argument was we want more money from ESPN. The president came out and said that. And the thing was, if ESPN had up, ponied up and paid more money, not exactly what that amount would be, I don't know. But if they ponied up, I think we'd be looking at a nine-game schedule right now. The other question, Mark, about what's the college football 
playoff going to do if you play versus one, if you have losses versus two? An answer. Those two played the Saban. Yes, Saban backed off, and we did hear the athletic talk about how he felt like, yeah, the, the what's going to happen if you have three losses? Scheduling. Uh, we and he mentioned for Alabama, he said we got four five two power five teams scheduled for the next ten years. We supposed to do? Are we going to play a nine game conference schedule and then two power five? Are we going to have to buy out of these contracts that we have? So some of that came up in the discussion with Greg Byrne. Uh, Jimmy, I'm. It's funny about the ESPN thing. I Dave's probably going to kill me because I'm probably going to accidentally get like our SEC Media Days credentials like revoked in a couple of years. But <laughs> awesome. uh, I have been very critical of Greg Sankey, and I think there's been a little bit of Emperor has no clothes, or we just trust because SEC leadership has been so good for so long, we just trust everything going on, but. Isn't it a bad look for Greg Sinke that, one, he did negotiate an ESPN deal that he was very clearly underpaid for? You look at the Big Ten now, they get more than twice as much money than ES, than the SEC, even though the SEC has a way better brand for their 16 teams, given the revenue they generate. And then he can't keep his troops together for this nine-game SEC schedule that he thought he had. Mm-hmm. I mean, how bad of a look is this for Greg Sinke? Oh, we lost. Did we lose him again? I think we uh, let's work on Jimmy. That up because that was there. You, there you go, Jimmy. We got you now. Uh, the other day, the feeling was like had been the commissioner, he'd have gotten his way. Slive had a way of convincing you to come on his side of the argument. Idea. He was really good at that, but Sankey was on. Un- to get this done. The other thing about the contract up, not only is the Big Ten getting more money, they've got a seven-year deal, so they can renegotiate in years. The SEC the deal, deal, and then increase it when I do it's not what Yep, I think we're losing Jimmy, I think we're having uh, some connection issues for some reason, but um, uh, great job as always. Um, I find it very interesting that uh, Nick Saban at least pushed um, maybe the movement towards not having a permanent schedule. He still has an awful lot of power. There's no question about that. Oh, we lost Jimmy. All right, so um, so Nick Saban comes in and kind of he's the fly in the ointment. The, Blows things up. Does that surprise you, Caleb, that he still has this much power? No, but it's. I heard some of the words <laughs> Jimmy Hines was bringing in there, and he brought a great point. I think he, he has that power because Greg Sankey doesn't have the uh, doesn't wield with it, lead with an iron fist the way Mike Slive and Roy Kramer did. I didn't even think about what what Jimmy said, but yeah, a ten year deal for three billion, and the Big Ten can renegotiate from their seven year deal. Uh, their their deal, which is way worth way more in seven years. I didn't even think about that. The SEC could be locked in in this bad deal when the Big Ten doubles on their $7 billion deal. I, I'm sorry. Like, Kevin Warren and the new Big Ten commissioner and Jim Delaney, they, they've just been much more competent. and They've just been smarter than the SEC. They are. They're, they've just been smarter. 
Agreed. Uh, let's see if we can get Jimmy back. Jimmy, I think we got you back. Um, I do find it interesting that Saban still has that much power, even though you could argue he's not the ahead of the preeminent program in, in the SEC right now that Kirby Smart is. Uh, so I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't hear it. Still having a lot of power. Was that your comment? Yes. 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 Uh, I don't know if – I'm not sure if I feel like he had as much influence on this scheduling situation as you do because I think the other factors – again, I didn't hear any other coach talk about what Saban did, and that was I don't like permanent opponents. I'm talking about from the SEC teams. Now, maybe they got fine with when he said do this behind those doors. But he was the one that was the most vocal that I heard about the permanent opponents. And you can schedule around that. It's funny that one of the beat writers at Alabama told me, not I think we're losing Jimmy again. So, but nevertheless, um, Nick Saban uh, has that uh, has that type of power to at least get the ball rolling. I agree with Jimmy, though. There are a lot of other factors in there, um, and, and I'm just a little surprised, Jimmy. I guess I'm I'm a little surprised. We'll bring Jimmy back in here. Um, I, I, I'm a little surprised that ultimately it didn't get done. Um, I think we lost Jimmy again. Jimmy, we'll reconnect at a, another another time. My apologies. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, Kirby Smart, though, by the way, uh, saying that finishing second in the SEC is a trap game. Caleb, your thoughts on Kirby Smart saying that and why? So this is talking going down the road in 2024 when the SEC gets rid of the divisions and the college football playoff expands to 12 teams. Kirby Smart brings up a great point. He was thinking, oh, if, if you finish second in the SEC and you lose the SEC title game, then you got to go right back to a first-round playoff game. Well, then you were better off being the third team in the SEC and having had the rest and played in the first-round playoff game. Well, I mean, I think – so I always ask this question when somebody brings up a – uh, some sort of issue like this, especially when it's Kirby Smart or Nick Saban. So what do you think is the end game by Kirby Smart for even bringing this up? I think Kirby Smart wants something done to address the, I guess just the, the lack of incentive that you might have for playing for the SEC title. I mean, I actually think that there, I, th- I think there's some legitimate truth to that. Now, I think what he, I think where he's trying to get to, and this is where I would get, he wants to make sure that I think I, I think Nick Saban's more meticulous. I think Kirby Smart's shooting from the hip. I think what Kirby Smart's trying to get is he needs the committee to understand that a team that finishes second in the SEC should ho- should at least host the first week of playoff games. Put it that way. They should at least play a home game the first week. And there's going to be a lot of preferential oh. treatment to oh, conference wow. champions getting to host. Well, because okay. What advantage is there to finishing second versus finishing third if the top three teams are probably going to be in the 12-team playoff every year? Well, it's finishing second as opposed to finishing third. I, mean, yeah. I think you, you would help your 
seating, you would be more likely to uh, host a game. You would That's be more likely. He was getting it though. I think he wants right. to make sure the second place team does is guaranteed to host a game over some no name conference champion. Okay, well, I, I understand, but that that's. I mean, that's no argument to me. Just be, th- this comes down to where are they in the ratings? Um, and we have to trust the college football playoff committee to not, and I don't trust them to do this, but we have to trust them to seed them accurately, Caleb, to not put uh, the, the SEC, for instance, at one and three, as they've done in the college football playoffs before, because they don't want them to play each other in the first weekend, right? So we have to trust that they're going to truly see those without any sort of agenda, be it television or otherwise. I don't trust them to do that, but I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt in the first 12 run. So the bottom line is LSU was with nine and they, they finished the season nine and three or nine and nine four. Nine and four. I don't okay, think they would have been in the playoff last year. It would have been okay, but let's, let's just say, for instance, for funsies, they're 10 and three and they lose the SEC championship game. No, by the just taking a quick look, I don't think that that's necessarily a team that should be hosting, nor is that a team that should necessarily get a bye. It depends what every other team did. Yeah, but okay, take the agenda part out of it for a minute. And there, there's a, what, they, what they've done is they've actually eliminated at, at to where they could the potential for agendas because I mean, they're still going to have one, but let's not forget this. They, the top, you have to be a conference champion to get a first round by. I mean, what if there's two 12 and 0 SEC teams playing for the SEC title? You're telling me the loser of that game shouldn't get a first round by, but a nine and three Pac 12 champion should? I mean, that comes down to your thoughts on winning the conference. Does it matter? And I, I, I th- this is going to be readdressed really quickly when Texas and Oklahoma are in the league and the Big Ten is done doing their expanding. And if we find out that it's an ALNL type of thing, like in Major League Baseball, that you need to adjust this. But to me, right now, and it's very tenuous, okay? The Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-14, whatever it ends up being, the Big 12, Big 14, whatever it ends up being, is still relevant slightly same thing for the acc slightly so i feel like when we have this conversation in two or three years that kirby's got a great point to me winning those conferences is still significant and i think it deserves something again maybe a moot issue in about two years but this i i guess where kirby's at and by the way how do you do this conference championship week do you punish a team for playing for their conference championship so you knock them below the third or fourth place team in the SEC because they lost that last week? Well, at the end of the day, I would have true seeding. So in, in your situation, if you've got two 12-0 teams, let's, let's include the Big Ten so we don't look like we're showing favoritism to the SEC. Let's Which say could you happen have- if they eliminate divisions, by the way. Sure. Let's say you have two 12 and 0 Big Ten teams or two 12 and 0 SEC teams. To me, they should be in the top four. All things considered, unless you've got 14 other 12 and 0 teams, which you're not going to have, that they should be in the top four. They certainly should be in, in the top six 
They, but they should certainly host. I don't have any problem with that. If, if you actually do want to arrange in that order, Caleb, I, I think they're hoping to keep these conferences alive. So I feel like we're almost having a conversation of somebody that's about to pass away and what to do with their will. Yeah. You want to pay them proper respect, but I feel like this is going to take care of itself in a matter of time. So worst analogy I've ever made. Caleb. Okay. But it, when that, when that happens, when it becomes ALNO, just add a game to the schedule and get rid of conference championship games. I guess that's no. what I meant. Just, no. just, just Look, it's good for money and it's fun, but it's it's. Imagine if if this was the NFL, okay, and you had like the top two teams play for the division championship, like instant before the wild card round of the playoffs. That would be horrible. Like it would. So I I just I don't By the think way, this is. Rocky Top Tom says that's a great analogy. My death analogy. Very Kevorkian of me. Um, I mean. Yeah. Okay. So let me let, let's argue this for a second. Okay, you've got two two loss teams going into championship weekend in the Big Ten and in the SEC. Okay, so you're going to have a two loss champion either way, and then you're going to have a three loss team that you can decide upon. So let's say the ACC. You go undefeated there. Pack 12, 10, 14, 18, 28, 780, whatever it ends up being, you're undefeated there. You're undefeated in this Big 12 thingy they got going on. I mean, if, if you're truly seeding them as they should be seeded, in my opinion, then you could have the SEC locked out theoretically, right? Because then a Big 10 could pick up the fourth spot. If you said the ACC, Big 12, 14, 18, Pack 12, 14, 18. Um, that's three, and then you have a big... So the Big Ten or SEC could be locked out of it if you truly stagger them. So beware of what you ask for is what I would what I would offer up. Well, there's... Again, there is the... You're right, but I, I think this more goes with the two versus three situation, which is, again, is there a curse to play for the conference championship game as the second best team? Because you have to play, you're not going to get, say, is it better to finish third or finish second and lose the SEC title? I think it's better to finish third. And not even play in the game. And not even play in the game. Then you effectively get a first round bye. And that's the flaw in this situation. It's incentivizing you to lose and finish third. If if it's a year where you know Alabama is the best team in the league and you'll get to the playoff as a second or third team, but you know you'll lose to Alabama in the SEC title, you might see those teams jockeying to say, "Hey, I'd rather I want to lose and not have to play for the SEC title this week, this week." I'll offer this: there are a lot of people within Tennessee's football program that would have agreed with you last last November before the South Carolina Columbia collapse. There were a lot of people that saw that as you know the goal was always to get to Atlanta. That was their goal is to get to Atlanta. Well, that was gone after what happened in Athens. So there were a lot of people within Tennessee's program that looked at it and thought, hey, this is an extra week to get healthier. I know you got a month or so, but this is an extra week to get healthier. You don't have to go play a fantastic team. And this is kind of the preferred way. So in that particular case, again, LSU's losses, let's just manage them to make for funsies. Um, you, you would have Georgia, the one seed, LSU, potentially the two seed. Tennessee would be the three seed had the, the Columbia collapse not happen. 
Tennessee's draw is a little bit better there. I mean, I see where you're going, but I still think playing for the SEC title should mean something. Yeah, it means something, but not when you have another playoff game two weeks later. I think they want the rest. Yeah, it's even more so when you don't have the month off. So they're going to play earlier. It's a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the three seeds being better. But you can't do anything about it. What, are you going to throw a game? I mean, we just talked last year how Tennessee basketball should chuck the conference tournament. I, I think you're going to get to a point where conference championship games, I think you're going to see teams chuck it in football. There's no reason to play that hard when you know you're in the playoff in two weeks. Let's continue this. I, if, if you, it, it, that, that to me is the threshold that if you cross, I've got problems with everything that's happened in college football lately. NIL, transfer portal, all of it. If you get to the point where you just play your starters for the first drive like they do in the, at the end of the NFL season, I got a problem. We'll discuss that live each and every weekday at 10 a.m. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.